in making that decision to come to the United States. And um, we have a sign-up sheet for people to pledge money towards a grocery pack. So that's what uh, we're hoping to do. Our goal is to raise enough to purchase for three new families arriving as early as this Tuesday. <laughs> We also need volunteers to buy the groceries, and there will be a lot of guidance provided, So, um, and also to personally deliver to the refugee family on the day of arrival. So if you are interested in um, donating um, money towards a grocery pack or being the person that would like to go and buy the groceries um, and with guidance again, <laughs> so you don't have to just go out and buy whatever, um, and, uh, and be there to greet the family, please do stop by after service. Thank you. And I would like to invite um, Brian to come up and share a little bit about the global refugee situation. All right. Thank you, Gina. Uh, now, World Refugee Sunday <clears throat> fits into the broader picture of the era in which we live. We live in the age of migration. Approximately 3% of the world's population are international migrants, people who are relocated, living outside of the land in which they were born. Um, that constitutes several groups of people, one of which is refugees, like the people that Gina was talking about, and our church has had the privilege of ministering to for several years. The age of migration presents new opportunities and new challenges for the church as it engages in God's mission. Uh, one common way, go ahead and skip to another corner. <clears throat> so one way that this is talked about is kind of a framework of diaspora missiology. Diaspora are people groups living outside of the homeland in which they are born. Uh, so you have ministry to diaspora groups. You have the uh, Nigerians here in Chicago, and we can minister to them. This is initial point of contact ministry, kind of like the refugees we're ministering to here. But that's only one kind of ministry opportunity and challenge in the age of migration. One would be ministry by and beyond diaspora. So this is an example of um, Nigerians from Nigeria intentionally sent as cross-cultural missionaries to places like Chicago to plant churches or to Western Europe to plant churches. Uh, people leave their homeland all over the world, and there's kind of this back and forth movement all over the globe. Now, the, uh, another way is ministry through the diaspora. Uh, this is kind of the focus of my current research in ministry. I'm going to skip to the next slide. So 44 years ago, the uh, conflict in Vietnam finished, the Vietnam War, and it set off a refugee crisis. Uh, many people left Vietnam in boats like the picture up here on the South China Sea. Approximately 1.6 million people were resettled um, during the refugee crisis from Vietnam. And today, approximately 4 million Vietnamese reside outside of Vietnam. Now, fast forward to 2019, and times have changed. The Vietnamese refugees have been settled in the West for 35, 40 years, and many are returning to Vietnam, and many are returning with the ministry intention. These are people like a, a guy in Dallas that I've recently talked to. He left South Vietnam on a boat in 1977 as a 15-year-old individual. He spent 28 days on a boat in the South China Sea, was eventually resettled in a refugee camp in Singapore, the Philippines, and ended up being welcomed to America, settling in Nebraska. He was welcomed in Nebraska by a church much like our own, who provided him hospitality, meals, welcome packets, ESL lessons. He went to college, became an engineer, got married, 
lived his life in America. As Vietnam opened up to return, he felt a burden to return to his homeland. And in the past 12 years, he has taken 44 trips back to Vietnam to intentionally minister to his people, his people group back in Vietnam. He's done church planting, evangelism, compassion ministries, and has a vital ministry in Vietnam. That all started with the initial point of contact ministry to him as a refugee, as a high school student 40 years ago in Nebraska. So as we minister to refugees here today in Chicago, the new arrivals, we don't know the end of the story and the end of the journey and what God will be doing. And we have a really important part to play in that ministry, and you don't know where it's going to go. This summer... In next week, actually, my wife and I will be leaving to go back to Vietnam uh, to be serving alongside the diaspora refugees from Vietnam who have returned with the ministry intention back to Vietnam. We will be there for, for one month serving in ministries throughout Vietnam, hearing the stories of the former refugees who have returned to Vietnam with the ministry purpose and learning about their experiences and participating in their ministry. Um, that's an example of ministry through the diaspora, and an exciting one. And as we are here today thinking about Refugee Sunday, that's just the beginning. We don't know where the story will be going forward. Now, we have a wonderful opportunity this morning to hear from Peter Lee sharing about the European context and his ministry in France, particularly welcoming Iranian refugees in France. So thank you, Peter. Jamapal uh, Peter. You don't want to say Jamapal Pete? or Pete, it means my name is Bart in French. J'ai habite Lyon, I live in Lyon, France. And um, uh, slide, uh, th that's our family. Uh, my wife, Catherine, she's in uh, Omaha at the ECC conference, so she couldn't make it, so I had to pick her up today, later today. Um, France is a very unique place to do ministry. Um, they say, in the 80s, in the, in the, during the 80s and 90s, they, there was a huge movement of, in Urbana, uh, the 1040 window. And if you know the 1040 window is a long lat latitude of places where people have the least, they heard the gospel. And the interesting thing in Europe is everyone from 1040 window, Middle East, Africa, they're all coming to Europe. And it's a great place to do ministry. Uh, next slide. So I, I do two ministries. One is displaced minors. So what that means is children who are between 12 and 14, they start their journey from either uh, Iran or, or somewhere in Africa. They decide to leave because of hardship, war, or other reasons. And they leave. And I've met many African children who they left between 12 and, 13, 12 and 14. They would walk all the way to Egypt. From Egypt, they said the hardest part of from Israel, I mean, Egypt to Israel, crossing that border. They say that was the hardest thing they ever did. And from there, they'll go to Libya, Jordan, any other Middle East countries, and they would work as day laborers. And they would make enough money to fly, to uh, take a bus take the boat, whatever they need to do to get to France. And then when they come to France, and it's a good thing they come to France, is because France uh, give uh, um, status. They become legal status in France. So they can't kick them out. 
but and this is one of the places that I work at. It's uh, uh, Secure Populaire. It's a French not-for-profit organization, and what we do is we substitute school for them. So they can't enter school. Only way they could enter school, pub, uh, French school, is they need to get an advocate. And some do get an advocate, but if they can't, then they come to our welcome center and then we teach, we substitute school. So we teach English, French, math, science, art, and me and my colleague, we teach uh, English to the, to the students. And there's about, well, in this, well, there's more kids in the back. So we have, we range from about 30 to 20 kids uh, uh, every week that come to our, our session and we teach English. And it's really exciting. And what does legal status mean? That means that they could stay and when they turn 18, they get their papers and they become, and they could apply to be uh, 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 French citizens, but France, one of the, the bad thing about France is there is no housing. So a lot of these children, they would leave, li li live in the streets or, or, or uh, find some other way to live somewhere with other friends, etc. So it's kind of very interesting how things are worked out. Next slide. This is the other minister I do, and this is uh, my friends, my Persian friends uh, from Iran. So these are two leaders we have. On the, on the right, that's Hossein. On the left, that's Miriam, and that's Miriam's daughter. And we disciple these two people because they have passion for Christ. And in turn, they teach the other Farsi group, <laughs> the other Persians. Next slide. So what we do is we do alpha. Uh, one of the, it's done in there's a subtitled in uh, Farsi, and we 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 do alpha, and after alpha we have question and answers, and then um, and then if we have time, then we do more Bible study. And next slide. And. This is one of the most exciting things that, that is happening in Lyon is this is our first Persian worship service in Lyon. It happened in May. We, do, we started doing uh, worship service uh, once every week. And then they, we did it in May, June, and then the, we'll do one in July. And we're really excited. And, and we have about 23 people attended. And then last week, about... 26 people attended, so it's growing, and we're really excited that they want to worship God in their own language, and hopefully, we're thinking that maybe a couple of months from now, or maybe from a year from now, it will become a church, a first church probably in France, and I want to share you about one of the leaders that I, that I talked about is uh, Hossein. Hossein, he was from Iran. And he had a very successful real estate business, and he had a partner. And for some one reason or the other, he talked to somebody about some religion, what, what have you not. And then his partner reported him to the police, the, the security police. And then they arrested him, and he had to sign papers that he's not going to do 
uh, look into other religion. Because in Iran, you could be a Christian or you could be a Muslim, but it has to be a generation. So your father had, so if your father is a Christian, then you could be a Christian. If your father is a Muslim, then you have to be a Muslim. But you cannot switch. There are churches in Iran, but but the, the very you know it's a generational thing. They could attend the church. So he, in his plight, they arrested him, and then he had signed a lot of papers saying, "I'm not going to do whatever." And then they shut down his business, and his family they moved to uh, his wife's town, and then they decided to leave. They didn't have enough money, so they could only one person can leave. And Hossein left. So he paid smuggler, and they got enough money. They went to, somehow they went to France, then Denmark. And they ended up in Denmark. While in Denmark, a uh, Denmark missionary, a church came to the refugee camp in Denmark. The camps in Denmark is a little different the way you think it is. It's, uh, they have uh, containers. Shipping containers. They make shipping containers, uh, housing out of shipping containers, and it's all fenced in. So he, they can't leave. So the, the church people will come into the, uh, the camp, and they ask, who speaks English? And then they pointed Hossein. He speaks English. And then Hossein went up to them, and then they're like, okay, you need to translate for us. So he started translating the sermons, the Bible study, and he was a Muslim. <laughs> And he, he was forced upon this. But while he was studying, he had to prepare for the Bible lesson. So they would give it to him. He would do it. He would translate the Farsi. And then that's how he became Christian and translating the Bible. Long story short, then he came to Lyon because uh, for some other reasons. And uh, he, he was part of our crew. Uh, thank you. I'm okay now. That's loud. Well, thank you so much, Peter. You know, Peter and, um, and his wife, Catherine, uh, I know that some of you know them from, uh, from many, many years ago. Um, um, some of them were little kids. Some of us were little kids in a Sunday school or something like that. Others were older. I'm not going to name them. Um, uh, but uh, Catherine and uh, Peter were leaders um, in a sister church um, in uh, Villa Park uh, that is still going on, going on strong. And they are covenant missionaries uh, in, in France. Uh, I have just come back last night uh, from this um, amazing gathering called Gather 2019. It's the annual meeting of the Evangelical Covenant Church, where scores of missionaries were, uh, were blessed to go to France, to Greece, to, uh, to, to Sweden, uh, to Guatemala, to Colombia, 
um, to Mexico, um, Argentina, and, and so I think it was just that, that was one of the joyful things, and, and, and we need to get behind. We are a covenant church. We need to get behind missionaries that go and do this kind of work. And some of this work is very dangerous work. We need to be praying for our, our, our missionary sisters and brothers, and, and Catherine and Peter are one of ours, and so we need, to, uh, we need to be praying for them. They will have an opportunity at a later time to share more with us so that we can pray, pray for them. And later on during the summer, there will be a time when um, our missionary friends from... Uh, Medellin, Colombia will be sharing with us as well um, um, the Isasas, Julio uh, and um, uh, Katie Isasa. Uh, I did have the privilege of spending time with a lot of these people the last three days. Um, Dennis and I also had the opportunity to meet a lot of uh, uh, young people who are my students. That was another joyful thing to see my students being ordained. I mean, I saw them as an 18-year-old, you know, um, um, and, uh, and here they are being sent as, um, as pastors into different parts of the world. And then there's nothing more joyful to a professor than to see young people go as missionaries, become pastors of the word. And um, um, so I'm, I'm back here. Um, uh, Dennis was there yesterday at the ordination ceremony. I had to get on these wings and fly back because I wanted to be here. He's coming back later on sometime today. Um, but he'll, he'll get to share with you some of uh, the experiences that he has had. So let's get behind Peter and, and Catherine. Um, 70 million. Can you think of that number? My goodness. 70 million people who have been displaced, displaced because of um, persecution. A lot of these are Christians or, 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 or in, um, in other places they're probably Buddhists or, or something like that. Um, conflict between groups of people who want control. Um, Violence, little kids that have seen a lot of violence, human rights violations um, all over the world, North Africa, Africa. They're going to Europe, and Peter talked about that, 4.5 million in, um, in Europe. Um, Asia, another 4 million. Um, in this last year, um, sadly, there have been only 45,000 that have been allowed into the United States. And it's gone down to 21,000 or something like that. So it's, uh, that's the actual number. We need to, we need to be praying that we, we become a, a society that's able to, to bless our people. Because you're right, Peter. I've... I've um, uh, the, the best students that come from Europe who believe in Jesus are not Swedish or German or French students. None of them know anything about the Bible. The Bible? There's something called the Bible? 
Jesus? My goodness, who is this Jesus? But do you know who knows about the Bible and who knows about Jesus? It's those Farsi-speaking students and the African students who come to us, Congolese refugees who come to us from Sweden and from France because of missionaries like Peter and Catherine who share their lives with them. And these students will come and they'll start sharing about Jesus and, and our students who are coming from Chicago and Omaha, Nebraska and, and all these places are looking at them. What? Who is this Jesus you're talking about? I can think about one situation which is kind of stark in my mind. A student that came from the Middle East and we were celebrating, oh, and the celebrating is not the right word. It, it was the anniversary, I think it was the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And all these students came up, and this was in the chapel, all these students from all over, from you know Washington State and all that, and, and they were saying that Oh, you know, we need to be prayerful, and we need to do this, and we need to do that. And, uh, and um, this student got up in the end. His name is Muhammad, from one of the African, North African countries. He got up, and he said, none of you talked about the gospel and the significance of Jesus and healing and transformation that Jesus need to bring, bring, needs to bring about. I thought I've come to this group of people that are Christians, but none of you talked about this. And he said, I want to share with you a little bit. I was very hesitant, he said. Um, I want to share with you a little bit. Uh, and he began sharing. He said, I was nine years old, and suddenly there was this uproar in my neighborhood. And people were rejoicing and dancing, and, and, and they, were, they were shooting guns in the air and in celebration. And, and so I asked my father, I said, why is everyone so happy? And, and he said, my father looked at me and he said, son, this is a great day for rejoicing because they have killed a whole lot of infidels in that place called America. And he said, I looked at my father and said, you want me to be happy about that? And so fast forward, he is now 21 years old and he came to the United States looking for an answer. And there was a family that reached out to this refugee and he found Jesus. And he said, Jesus gave me the answer to that question that I asked my father when I was nine years old. So reaching out to refugees has so many ramifications. And fast forward, he found a young lady at the college. They got married to each other. I was there at the wedding ceremony and you know, was one of the officiating pastors there, and he has gone back to his country. I cannot mention what country it is because it is not a very safe situation. He's gone back to talk about this Jesus that he found in his own neighborhood. That is powerful, isn't it? 
So refugee ministry is not just doing some good deed and handing out people a little bit of food, a little bit of ration, uh, 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 or, or language help. It is a lot more than that. We are sharing Jesus. And we're doing that because that's what the Bible is all about. It says a lot about refugee work. It, every time a, a Jewish farmer would go into the temple and would present his offerings, he would say this prayer from Deuteronomy chapter 26. And it begins like this. Lord, I come before you because my forefathers were wandering refugees. Every time you come into the temple, the first prayer you say is, I want to say to you, O Lord, my father Abraham was a wandering refugee. Our forefathers were wandering refugees. And from then they'll go on to remember all the things as Abraham, who was a refugee, who came from that same place in, the, in, in, in Babylon, in Babylonia, Iraq. He was an Iraqi refugee whom, whom God took care of. And, and then, 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 of course, his wife faced dangers and horrible things were going to happen to her because horrible things happen even in refugee camps. I've been in Kakuma refugee camp where there's 800,000 people. There's bad things that happened there. And so bad things were, were, were what Abraham and Sarah experienced. And then his, 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 his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren go into another refugee situation into a place called Egypt where they are enslaved for 400 years. So this is one generation after another. That is enslaved and bad things are happening to them. And, 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 and I've seen that in the Kakuma refugee camp when I went in there. I, I spent some, some time with, 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 with these amazingly brilliant young people, South Sudanese refugees. Some 20 years old, some 30 years old, 35 years old. And so, you know, I, for some reason I go among the young people and start spending time with them. I let the other people do their elder thing because that's what they do. But young people are amazing. So I had this amazing conversation with them and I asked them, so tell me, what did you do today? And they looked at me and, and they said nothing. And I said, what? Nothing? I mean, if I ask my students at North Park that question, they'll have a million things to say. They said nothing. I said, well, why nothing? He said, nothing to do. We have no work. We were born here 30 years ago. We have lived in this camp for 30 years. Do you have any hope? They said, no, we don't have any hope. Because you've read the statistics, right? How many people make it to the United States or to France or to some of these people? Places, just 1%. The others live and die in bad situations there. And so that's what happened to the people of God. But God heard their cries and took them out. They were refugees in the wilderness for 40 years. Open to all these kings who did bad things to them. Right? And then God met them at Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments. It is so powerful. I wish, 
I had the time to go through all of these passages, but let me read some of these to you. God says to them in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 49 that there will be one set of laws for both those of you who are natives and those who are proselytos, which means aliens and strangers and refugees. You got to treat everyone equally. You cannot have one set of laws for yourself, another set of laws for strangers and aliens and foreigners. The word is proselytos. I want you to keep that in mind because we will encounter that. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 21. You shall do no wrong to a proselytos, to a alien, to a refugee. No, never do that. Why? Because always remember that your forefathers were refugees. Always remember that. So, book of Deuteronomy, throughout you find there are so many passages that always focus on refugees. But of course, the people of God go into the land and, and, and they just neglect the reading of the Torah and, and start treating refugees badly. They start treating their own people badly. And so finally, the Babylonians and the Assyrians come and destroy Jerusalem and destroy all of God's people. The young people were taken as refugees. Others were internally displaced people to whom the soldiers and these Assyrians and Babylonians wave after wave after wave of invading armies came. The, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, followed by the Medes and the Persians and followed by the Greeks and followed by the Romans, they all came and did bad things too. God's people destroyed Jerusalem over and over again. The reason is simply this, that Jerusalem is right at the very heart of these empires that were developing in Europe, in Africa on the other hand, and on this side it's Asia. So if an Asian king from Assyria or Babylon wanted to control the whole world, they had to destroy Jerusalem. If a European king from Rome wanted to take control of the whole world, they had to destroy Jerusalem. If an African king from Egypt or one of those places wanted to control the whole world, they had to come and take control of Jerusalem and destroy Jerusalem. So we encountered in Acts chapter 1, Jesus comes to his disciples these are the last words of Jesus to his disciples. You remember that? Acts chapter 1. Don't get boggled into minor things like seasons and times and this theology and that theology. Remember this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And many times this is interpreted as geographical. I want to say to you, this is not geographical. This has to do with refugees. This has to do with Jerusalem. This was destroyed. You've got to reach out to these people. These people need healing. 
Samaria, who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans were those people who are the crossbreeding of the Assyrians and the Persians and the Babylonians and the Greeks. You've got to reach out to them. They need the gospel. You will receive power. Where it says ends of the earth, that describes those refugees that are thrown into the ends of the earth. They need the power of the gospel. Go and give them the gospel. You will be my witnesses. And then it starts in Acts chapter 2. You remember that? When the Holy Spirit descends upon the people, they're all gathered there and, and the Holy Spirit descends upon the people and they start speaking in all these languages, all these tongues. So you remember that, right? Why? Who were these people? These people were third generation fourth-generation refugees. They were taken to Babylonia and to Persia and, and all these places, and now they're returning back to Jerusalem because they have suffered so much. And the Holy Spirit descends, and they hear the gospel in their own languages. That's so powerful, isn't it? So very powerful. They hear the gospel in their own languages. I want to fast forward a little bit. Acts chapter 3 last time, we talked about the lame person that was healed in the name of Jesus. Do you know that the worst people who suffer the most are not the able-bodied refugees? It is the handicapped refugees. And that's who that person was. I want to give you one more scenario that I wanted to go into a little more here. But, but I think it's important for us to do this. In Acts chapter 6, there is, the gospel is growing. A lot of people are coming together. And, and you find that people are quibbling against each other. There are these people who are called the Hellenists. They are all refugees, right? They speak... Greek with a strange accent because they're all refugees. And they're the people who call Hebrews. They are purists and they're quibbling against each other. That's where the rubber meets the road. When in the church, people quibble against each other. And the reason I'm saying this is because I've seen this all over the world. I've seen this among Indians in South Africa, where they think because they're lighter-skinned, they can do bad things to the African people in the church. I've spent a lot of time with college students, second-generation, third-generation Korean-American students in, in, in Chicago, and they would often tell me, you know, our parents said bad things about African-Americans. That was quibbling in Acts chapter 6. And God says, I want you to choose godly people like Stephen. Full of the Holy Spirit. Because we need healing in the church. If we don't have healing in the church, we can never go out and provide the healing of Jesus to others. So God chose godly people. 
who were refugees. The word that's used there again is proselutos, which means refugees, to go and provide healing. So we have a task to do. But before we do that, we need to come before God and say, Lord, do I have some attitudes in my heart that need healing? Otherwise, reaching out to refugees is just doing that superficially, providing them food or, or clothing or whatever. That is not true healing until healing goes on within us, within our hearts and our minds. That is the depth of the gospel. Would you pray with me? I'm going to request you to reflect a little bit, my sisters and my brothers, as we think about the work that is happening here in Chicago through Gina Choi and, and the team, in the rest of the world through Brian Woods and the team, and through our missionaries. Uh, but before we get involved in that, I want to urge you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something that is there in your own life, maybe attitudes against Muslims or those Burmese people or those African people or those Haitian people, even if there's an iota, would you bring it before God and say, Lord, heal me there, heal my attitude. Oh Lord, hear our prayers, hear our prayers, in Jesus' name. Then I'm going to request you all to arise, and I'm going to request um, Gina and Peter and Brian to come up here, and, and I'm going to request you all to arise. So would you come forward, and, and let's pray for them. Let's pray for their ministry. We're going to do something unique here, okay? We're going to do something called a mass prayer. And that is all of us praying out aloud. And then I will just close in prayer. Is that okay? So let's just pray out aloud. Put out your hand towards these people and pray for them. And pray aloud. Pray aloud. That's okay. Don't worry about what the person next to you is praying. Okay? So let's put out your hand towards them and pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord, hear our prayer.
Lord, we want to thank you indeed for Gina and for the team that goes and reaches out to refugees. Lord, bless this ministry. We as a church confess, Lord, that we have attitudes. And, and Lord, as we go and reach out to refugees, we pray that you'd bring about healing. Pray, Lord, for Brian. Pray for the, the team of, uh, of the focus on global missions. Lord, bless this ministry that we would be indeed a church that would be outwardly focused towards what you're doing in Vietnam and in, 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 in Mexico and in Guatemala and in India and in, in African countries. Lord, we want to be a church that's got a missions focus. So bless Brian. Bless his team. And Lord, on behalf of uh, uh, our church, we want to pray for Peter and for Catherine and for all those missionaries that have been uh, um, blessed yesterday and for all these years. Lord, bless them, protect them, and uh, protect the Lees and their family in particular. Bless their ministry, Lord, in Lyon, in France, and in other parts of Europe. Lord, bless them so that many, many, many more Persians would see healing in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. We empower these in the name of Jesus, the risen Lord. Amen.